Equifax has suffered a massive data breach involving as many as 143 million people in the United States. Social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and driver's licenses were apparently exposed, thus making this one of the worst hacks ever reported. Welcome to Insight Briefs, an attorney discussion. I'm your host, Patrick Carlson, and I'm joined today by Brett Pinniger, Wealth Council CEO, and Stuart Schlein, Director of Enterprise Architecture. Today, we're discussing the Equifax breach and how this gives attorneys a constant reminder to maintain security in your law practice during times of cyber hacks, natural disasters, and uncertainty. Thanks for being here today, Brett and Stuart. Thank you. It's great to be here, Patrick. Thank you. All right, so let's just jump right in here. Um, Brett, how can law firms help manage cybersecurity risks? Well, Patrick, there are several ways in which law firms can manage their risks. First of all, you need to understand the nature of the risks that law firms face and that many businesses of many different types face here. There are risks associated with the equipment you have in your office, your computers, your network, your access to the internet. Um, there's also risks associated with the policies and procedures you have in place as a law practice, password control, um, issues associated with um, uh, access to documents and what kind of access control mechanisms you have in place. Um, there are also issues associated with um, backup and how you're storing critical information so that in case of a disaster or a breach, you've got um, information backups in place to quickly restore that information and get back on track. Um, then there's also issues related to the cloud and the sorts of external services you use and ensuring that those services meet the duties and the responsibilities you have to provide secure and, and con controlled access to information here that you might be storing or using in the cloud. What we've learned is, is that uh, you can't uh, sort of relegate this to an IT specialist. You've got to engage everyone in your practice in understanding these issues and in um, being well-informed. And then once you sort of think about all those areas, there are certainly best practices um, that hopefully we'll talk more about here today that will help you as an attorney and your practice determine the best ways to be vigilant and to be thoughtfully implementing the standards and fiduciary responsibilities that attorneys have to, um, to keep client confidential, information confidential and secure. So how do you go about recognizing the risks that you may have in a law firm? Stuart, as the director of our enterprise architecture, you're probably uniquely qualified to help us uh, think about that. Yeah, it, uh, you know, risk is a fact of life. Um, the software and the systems that we use uh, aren't perfect, uh, as the Equifax data breach demonstrates. But there are prudent steps or steps you can take to, to be prudent, to perform due diligence with any system, uh, including our own WealthDocs Online. Um, first of all, I think you have to recognize that the future of computing is in the cloud. Um, it's, not a, uh, it's not really going to be an option to, main, to, to remain on the desktop. I remember talking to one of our customers about who said he still on DOS and WordPerfect and intended to stay there the rest of his career. He's definitely the exception. So I think you've got to uh, think about uh, what, what your responsibilities are uh, with respect to your own client's data and then ask some pertinent questions of your vendors, uh, the software and systems that you use. Uh, what are their access control mechanisms? Uh, how do they manage data? Where is the data managed? What uh, type of facilities uh, does the data reside in? 
what are the security protocols uh, for that data center. Uh, and then I think you have to maintain, uh, you have to take steps yourself to make sure you're using passwords, for example, that uh, adequately protect your data uh, and the data of your clients. For example, uh, recent research has demonstrated that the longer a password, the likely more secure it is. Uh, you know, we've been taught that you should throw in some numbers and some punctuation symbols, and while that's good, uh, again, emergency, emerging understanding is that the length of your password matters. There are steps like that, just practical, simple steps that one can take to, to, uh, to protect your data. Another uh, step to take is use multi-factor or two-factor authentication when it's available. Uh, a simple username and password is rapidly becoming uh, outdated. Uh, it, given the uh, computing horsepower out there and the, the people who have uh, that horsepower to, to use, uh, simple static protocols like username and password probably won't be, aren't adequate now and, and, and certainly won't be in the future. So take advantage of multi-factor authentication when it's available. I don't know, Brett, do you have some thoughts about other ways to manage risk and identify them? Certainly, Stuart, I'd agree with everything you've said. I'd also add that there are um, big challenges that um, law firms have, not just with their cloud-based computing environments, but also with their brick-and-mortar environments. I've certainly talked to attorneys as well that talk about how they're not going to the cloud because um, they can't control or manage the security of that. Um, you know, again, disasters like hurricanes and floods and fires have all demonstrated the fact that a physical environment here is also at risk. Um, also, determining ways in which you control access to client information in an open environment where you've got direct access to the physical computers is important. And with employees, get making sure you manage those, soft, those uh, passwords and those access controls in your local environment as well. Another big area of security that attorneys need to think about is many use uh, um, you know, portable computers, laptops, iPads, other devices here which aren't in the office that go with them and that are um, accessible. Many of the security breaches that we've seen here, maybe not the Equifax one in particular, but uh, other security breaches have, have occurred when laptops were in the backs of cars and those laptops were stolen in, uh, uh, in a parking lot. And so making sure you are um, keeping your laptop safe with all the information that may be on that is also another important way. So maintaining that physical control of your infrastructure is critical. And then also the backups, making sure that your backups are secure and then in a location where um, they're under lock and key and they have limited access and yet are also physically safer. Things that uh, there are risks that attorneys face and ways in which they can help manage those risks of the physical environment. That's a big burden for a solo practitioner, even a small law firm to uh, maintain all those IT systems, maintain all those passwords, all the things that you and I have mentioned. That's a lot for a small company to manage, let alone a, a solo practitioner. No doubt. And that's why, as you said, I would agree that the cloud is a more secure environment. Companies like Wealth Council that invest um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in security here um, are able to do things that a small law office aren't able to do. Um, also, the relying upon our third-party vendors that provide uh, increased levels of security for the systems we have and other cloud systems you have um, also provide additional levels of protection that uh, an individual attorney or a small firm would have difficulty doing. So um, there are certainly risks with the cloud. There are also benefits. And I would say that most professionals would say that the benefits 
of the cloud far outweigh the, the risks of the cloud. As long as you're aware and you take some of the action steps that you've mentioned, um, you can have great confidence that your um, information and your client's information is protected and safe. Absolutely. And it's one of those things too, Stuart, your comments made me think that a lot of these things are just uh, us as the users, us as attorneys going in and making sure that on our iPhone, for example, that we have the uh, touch ID, or I guess if we're going to get the new iPhone, the face ID, we have the security set up and that our laptops, we don't just may be convenient to have it where you can just turn it on and it goes right there. But even something as simple as setting a password can on that laptop, can go a long way towards um, helping improve the security of your practice, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. And, you know, social engineering or just extracting uh, data person to person is still one of the cheapest and most effective ways of attacking and compromising the system. So things like uh, post-it notes on monitors, uh, it's not a good practice. Uh, use of a password management uh, system is a much better way to handle it, things like that. But yeah, you have to guard against not just the outside and the unknown attacker, but more likely uh, for a small company, it's going to be the people you know, your own employees, people who have access to your building uh, are, going to, are going to be a bigger threat more than likely than someone that you don't know halfway across the world. So it's just common sense, you know, uh, to, to do these things, to take these steps. You know, one of the other sort of common threats that we all experience are um, fake emails emails that are supposedly from a particular vendor or company, a cloud provider, and that ask you to enter your personal password, your username or ID. And, and, and so doing their gather that information that allow them to basically provide uh, that to others that would, they could sell that to, and then your information is disclosed. And so it's important that uh, vigilance is part of that process as well. And that you're not um, opening emails that look unusual or that are, are out of the, out of the norm. Um, most companies that are in the world of cloud-based computing or store, storage or certainly Wealth Council will not ask you through an email to enter your password. Um, that kind of practice for us allows you to have confidence that when you see an email that asks for a password that it's not, um, not one you should be working with and using. So um, that's also a common issue that I think many of us have seen who've used Google Documents or other types of things where there are faked emails that are, again, looking for your information. So just a, a certain amount of vigilance and awareness of the ways in which people are attack, uh, uh, gathering your information can go a long ways towards keeping you safe as well. That's a good point, Brett. In fact, we've designed WealthDocs online so that it's impossible. So there is no one who can reset your password or, or who can, uh, that you could give a password to over the phone or via email and let them reset your password. It's been designed in such a way that you have to do that yourself. The, the user, the member in our case, has to do that themselves. We can't do it for them. Stuart, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other security protocols that we have within WealthDocs Online that help make it a secure environment for us to draft documents for our, um, for our, for our clients? Absolutely. Um, one of the first things we've done is recognize our own limitations. Even though we, as Brett mentioned, we spent a lot of money uh, to protect the, the security of our data. We still uh, want to partner with industry leading uh, companies to fulfill part of our obligations. So one of the first things we did is partner with a, a, a large industry leading data center hosting provider. Our servers, uh, while they're hosted at uh, remote facilities, 
they, the infrastructure itself is dedicated solely to our application. We're not sharing those servers with anyone else, nor the database with anyone else. Um, those data centers have uh, very stringent protocols for who can access the building and who can work on the servers, uh, including biometric identification of employees. But even so, none of our data center uh, hosting partners have access to our application or our database. So we made sure that, uh, that we, we separate uh, responsibilities and they have no responsibility over maintaining the application. We do that internally, of course. Um, we uh, manage credentials at a practice level. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, if a member called us up and said, hey, here's, I want to use this password, would you set that up for me? We can't do that. We can direct them to do it themselves, but uh, we want to be, make sure that information like passwords is kept uh, safe and secure and that uh, we design protocols into the application to prevent the sharing of credentials like that. Also, those credentials are never passed uh, or transmitted uh, in plain text. Our application was designed so that uh, uh, not only passwords, but all data is encrypted in transmission. Uh, and then stored in the database in a form that can't be, it's known, it's considered computationally secure, meaning it can't be reverse engineered without massive computing power. So we feel uh, that protects uh, some of the most sensitive data that we maintain in our servers. And then control to uh, a member's practice is, is baked into the database itself, which means we've reduced the number of ways that an attacker could potentially exploit uh, our architecture, even if they got into uh, some significant areas of the application. We also support uh, the highest standards of data encryption over the wire, uh, specifically the TLS 1.2 protocol, which uh, uh, supports 256-bit encryption. We uh, also contract with a third party to do an annual penetration test. They uh, using their own framework as well as some industry standard frameworks, they perform more than 89 different tests to ensure that our application uh, is, that maintains the security and protects the data of our members. These tests cover everything from authentication to authorization, uh, how we build our application, all kinds of uh, vulnerabilities uh, that, that could exist in an application are tested for and uh, then they certify or attest that we have met uh, all those uh, requirements. And uh, I, I can report that uh, last year's penetration test, we did uh, meet all of the requirements of their framework. Uh, and members can request that if, if they want a letter of attestation. And then Brett mentioned this earlier. It's not just, you're not just protecting from hackers. You're, you want to make sure that your data is uh, is secure from disaster, is secure from corruption, that it's backed up and restorable. And we do, we, we do quite a bit to make sure that's the case. Uh, not only do we have remote data, a remote data center, we have remote data centers so that if one were to fail, uh, we would be able to fail over to a second data center in the case of a natural disaster or widespread power outage, for example. So your data will be accessible, even when there may be a disaster in a part of the country where we have a data center. Um, there's a lot more I could talk about, Patrick, but uh, we, we take members' needs very seriously with respect to security. Uh, we know how important it is for them to protect their clients' data, and frankly, it's essential to us that we have the confidence 
of our members that we're taking all prudent steps to protect their data. Yeah, it sounds like we've uh, built a very multi-layered approach to it. And as you mentioned, the disaster aspect of it too, that we see the hurricanes in, in uh, Houston and uh, in Florida. And I mean, if your law office was there and you were relying on local storage, you may have lost all of your data. So actually putting it in the cloud can be a way. Uh, so it's not just the disaster recovery. If, if say one of our servers has, uh, a, like you mentioned, a disaster, it's also for the law firm instead of uh, your things are more secure that way. That's right. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, ethical uh, obligations of attorneys. Um, Brett, you know, could you tell us a little bit about what you've kind of learned about some of the ABA ethical standards that have been recently promulgated? I'd be happy to, Patrick. Um, in May of this year, the ABA issued a um, formal opinion on cybersecurity, formal opinion 477. And in that opinion, they uh, talk at length about what has happened in the past and various previous opinions that have been issued. And where they come down uh, in terms of what security measures a practice or an attorney should make uh, is to this idea of a process rather than um, specific security measures. And the process that they um, encourage and recommend is one that involves assessing the cybersecurity risks, identifies um, appropriate measures to, to take uh, to respond to those risks, and then to verify that they've been implemented and then continually update and track your, um, your conformance to those measures that you have implemented. And so a very process-specific approach. Uh, and obviously, in order to comply with that process, you would need to um, understand what best practices are. And um, there are a lot of resources that are available um, online and from the ABA and their cybersecurity materials that can recommend processes and ways in which to um, assess those risks. Um, but in the actual opinion itself, they do, war they do uh, provide uh, several specific um, steps that lawyers sh should take, regardless of the facts, um, as you think about the future and the future of cybersecurity. The first is to understand the nature of the threat. Um, understand the threats that you're likely to face, whether that be password, um, issues with employees or access of employees, the risks of your computer equipment in your office, the risks that exist with the online systems that you, that you use. Number two is to understand how your client confidential information is transmitted and where it is stored. You should understand what access points there are and understand that those access points, that there are potential risks for, um, for disclosure or um, uh, that information to get into the wrong hands. The third is to understand and use reasonable electronic security measures and uh, to take those reasonable steps necessary. Model Rule 1.6C um, specifies uh, those reasonable efforts that are required here. But then the ABA goes on to explain that those facts may, reasonable may vary depending on the facts and circumstances. Um, next, uh, number four, determine how to uh, how you're going to protect client information in terms of specific communications, emails, um, phones, um, messages that are left, and so forth. Uh, and then how you label your client confidential information, which is another important part of their um, opinion and rule. Um, next, to train the attorneys and non-attorneys in your office here on technology and information security. And to conduct, next, to conduct due diligence of vendors providing your 
um, communication technologies. So Patrick, there's a lot of great um, insight here in this opinion. There are a lot of other materials that are available. Um, I certainly encourage um, attorneys to become smart and knowledgeable about these and to be as knowledgeable about this type of important information and uh, commitment that we have is with attorneys as you would uh, for the area of practice that an attorney is practicing in, um, as these are central to our ability to uh, provide the level of service and the level of confidentiality that our clients both need and should expect from us. Absolutely. And, and you're even seeing some of the states coming in and starting to uh, promulgate opinions uh, based on the rules that we have of confidentiality and, uh, you know, competence and other types of rules that are already existing rules. And they're saying, yes, that extends to this world of uh, cybersecurity and data storage and everything else. Uh, so thank you for sharing that, Brett. Um, sort of as we move towards closing today, um, what would you suggest as a next step for our listeners, something that they can uh, kind of act on later today or, or within the coming weeks or so for them? Well, I would start with uh, um, getting smarter, learning more. So um, go online and find out uh, a little bit more about what attorneys' responsibilities are for cybersecurity. Do a simple Google search, go to the ABA's website, um, read the opinion, do those sorts of things to, to build a basic level of understanding. Once you have that understanding, evaluate um, the state of your practice, the state of your security, where your information is stored, whether it's on local computers or it's in the cloud. Um, understand the um, accessibility of information within your practice to various employees or staff members. And then based on that um, evaluation there, make changes. Start doing those things that you need to do that will make your information more secure. And then regularly um, audit yourself, whether that be with an outside auditor like we've used at Wealth Council or internally, maybe once or twice a year saying, how are we doing and filling out that checklist again. And it's through that level of vigilance, that level of commitment to um, meeting these challenging times that you can be more confident and sleep better at night, that your information is safe, that your clients are in uh, good hands with you, and that you'll be in I just echo what Brett said, um, and, and I would add, uh, sit down and, and document your current policies. And if you don't have any current policies, uh, establish them. Uh, do the research uh, that you need to, because every business is different, and what works for one may not work for another, but there are general principles to, that can be applied here. But document what your practices are, and make sure your employees and the people you work with know what those practices are. Um, that's a great place to start and it'll help you as you consider additional cloud applications in the future. Um, but just make it part of your, uh, what you do as a business. Well, thank you for that, Stuart. And thank you, Brett. Uh, and thank you everybody for listening today to this episode of Insight Briefs. This podcast has been brought to you by Wealth Council. Please be sure to visit wealthcouncil.com slash podcasts to join the conversation, access the show notes, Learn more about our guests, Brett and Stuart, and discover more about how to better protect your practice and your clients with WealthDocs Online.